Amen. Thank you, folks. Fantastic. Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. You'll join me there in the few minutes that we have left this morning. I want to share with you a message simply entitled this, Dangerous and Desperate Days for the Church, Discernment Needed. Desperate and Dangerous Days for the Church, Discernment Needed. It is actually going to be a series because I have very little time to preach this morning. And uh, we will kind of whet the appetite. We'll kind of get into it and then we'll continue it in, in, in weeks ahead. Uh, yet I think it is so crucial, so important. Hebrews chapter 5, I'll, I'll share with you the context. And uh, I really want to challenge you. I, I, just what that song spoke about, just the reality of what we think about the children we dedicated. My friend, there is a great need for the people of God to ensure that the church of God is pure. In our doctrine and everything that we do and, and how we look at the world, that we're looking at it through the lens of God's word. Having the discernment, and that's what Paul writes here in Hebrews. Um, forgive me, let me share a praise with you. I, I, I think it would be appropriate to do so. Hey, this week we've been praying in the last few weeks for the childs and their visas and everything. And at least three weeks, could be an extra three weeks that they would have had to wait from South Africa. My friends, God answers prayer. The visas came in this week. Less than two weeks and for the full three years they need for, to go to South Africa. So we just praise the Lord. That's exciting. And the Lord has been good and is good. So they're get working on tickets and then the, the container and then they'll be heading out here. In a few short weeks to South Africa, the Lord has just one, has done wondrous on their behalf. And so we rejoice in that. We want to praise our God for answered prayer in that way. And that's exciting. Hebrews chapter 5. Look me at verse 11, if you will. Look with me, verse 11 and following. Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when we, for the time that ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. And are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised. Notice the next two state the next two words to discern both good and evil. For these next few moments and for this series that will last as long as the Holy Spirit dictates in the weeks ahead, my friend, you and I need to have discernment of good and evil. And as the passage contends and shares, that comes from an understanding, a skillful use, growth in God's Word. Discernment is derived from that. Now listen to me. Here's some statements. Let's evaluate them for a second. You think upon them as I share them with you, okay? If your mind can conceive it, you can achieve it, okay? Number two, if you only believe it, you can do anything and be anything. Number three, number three, there you go. If you believe it, you can achieve it. In our world, that sounds great. Let me ask you this. If I, according to these statements, believe I am a dog, am I? No. Well, what if I said, hey, you know what? It's been my passion, my desire, my dream for, for years on end. Now, in fact, since I was in high school, that I would be six foot six, not just barely six foot. 
That's been my dream. I, I'd love to be tall. And, and uh, boy, just it helped in basketball, helping other things, and helping looking down on people. So look, anyway, um, it helped. That's my dream. That's my desire. I want to be six foot six. And I said, you know what? I believe. I believe with all of my heart that if, when I go to sleep tonight and I wake up in the morning, I'm going to wake up six foot six. I believe it with everything in me. And I, 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 I just believe, I have faith in my belief that I can achieve it. And so, boy, when I pillow my head tonight and I finally fall to sleep tomorrow morning when I wake up, I'm going to feel like, man, if something feels weird, I'm going to throw my legs off over the side of the bed and it's going to hit the ground much quicker because I'm going to be six foot six. What's going to happen when I wake up on Monday morning and my, all of a sudden I have cognizance of beyond the first, where am I? What am I doing? Why am I awake right now? What's going to be my, hey, I'm just, what am I going to find happen to me? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. Now think about it. The reality is this. We don't really believe these statements completely. In fact, it, most of the people in the world who might even say these, they might share these pithy sayings in social media. They might have it on a bumper sticker. They might put it out there. Uh, they really don't believe it anyway. It, it may be, to a degree, motivational, inspirational. But the fact is, most people don't really believe these statements. They sound good for a few moments, but they quickly wear off. These kind of statements, and they're all over social media. They're all over bumper stickers, and people just love these kind of things. You know what I call them? I call them caffeine for the mind. Or, or for younger generations, you know what I call them? Red Bull for the mind. It gives you wings for a moment. But anyway, it gives you a lift, right? Caffeine, so many coffee drinkers or pop drinkers, we like it because it gives us that quick lift. But boy, it doesn't last long, does it? Poof. And can I tell you what these things, they may sound good. Oh, yeah, if I, if I just believe it, I can achieve it. This is, yeah, okay. And then we quickly find out, wait a minute, that's not really true. It sounds good. It feels good. It, it becomes somewhat, um, yeah, you might have a temporary lift if we might describe it. But boy, does it let you down quickly. But here's the problem. Secular philosophy, this thinking like this is all around us. It's growing. We have bought in as a society and a culture to these kinds of statements, and now there's people all around us who really believe these things, who have taken them and said, oh, if I just have faith, if I just believe, I can achieve it. And if you and I speak up and we say, well, that's not really true, guess what? You're the bigot. You're the Debbie Downer. You're the one that's raining on somebody else's parade. How dare you say that? Who are you to say they can't do that? Who are you to say you can't be six foot six when you wake up in the morning? The secular philosophy is pushed constantly. Young people, listen to me. It is all around us in the culture and the world. Now, here's the problem. Well, over 50 years ago, there was a Christian author named Francis Schaeffer. He gave a warning. He sounded the alarm for the church. Here's what he said, and here's the danger to the church. He said, the church is following the irrationality of secular philosophy. So as the world has gone and losing its logic and using, losing its rationale and, and lacking irrational thinking and gone irrational, guess what? Now, all of a sudden, the church has kind of opened the door to it. And I use the church as the broad term of all of Christendom. 
You say, Pastor Henry, why is it such a big deal? Why do you say because of this is a dangerous and, and a desperate time for the church? I say it because Ephesians uh, chapter number 5 and verses 26 and, and 27 are t- still true. Jesus Christ says this, or this is the purpose of why he loved the church and died for the church. Paul writes it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it, notice it, with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Now listen to me. When I see these babies up here and I look at my own children, I want there to be a glorious church still around when they're adults. I want it to be without blame, without blame, with uh, blameless, without spot. I want it to be true and pure. I want it to be what it ought to be, standing upon and cleansed by the word of God. And my friend, every irrational, illogical, secular philosophy that is out there is attacking the church. Attacking it. We have allowed it to creep in. You say, how's that? It's why too many Christians value feelings over truth. Do you hear me, church? It's why we value feelings over truth. It's why we have come to to value our own experience over doctrine. It's why we value uh, what makes people appeased and comfortable over what God commands and states. It it is what makes denominations and individual churches lay aside distinctives for the cause of unity and compromise. And it has been allowed to infiltrate the church in its doors, Christendom for far too long. We now see believers wrestle with the definition of marriage. We see even believers uh, question whether homosexuality is something God approves or calls a sin. We see Christians in the church wrestle with whether a child is born one way, might actually be another gender, or no gender at all. God have mercy on his church. We have come to the conclusions that moral and basic principles that have been clearly taught in the Bible have been since it was written, since Jesus Christ walked this earth We question whether they should be adjusted and whether they should be amended to our current culture and the current ideals that people hold. We must understand that because of this adopted irrationality, so as we have allowed the irrationality of secular philosophy to come in, guess what it does? Here's the problem. It opens the door for absolute truth to be under attack within and without the church. Now, this is crucial. Do not miss it, okay? Uh, I'll, I'll be throwing a lot at you through the series, but do not miss how this is infiltrating the church. First of all, the irrational thinking that has been embraced all around us in the world and in society and culture now is then infiltrating the church. As it infiltrates the church, guess what? It brings into question the absolute truth. And what do we know is the absolute truth? Thy word is truth. Okay, so now we're questioning this. That opens the door when we start to pick up. Children, teenagers, listen to me. It's why it's so crucial for you not to pick up philosophy from television, from the world in any way, shape, or form. Get your philosophy from the one who created every philosopher. Get it from God. Get it from his word. Get your worldview here. That'll prevent, and you use it as the filter by which you run everything through. 
that'll prevent you from being irrational in your own thinking. And here's the problem. Can you say, what's the big deal of that? Well, without absolute truth uh, and absolute authority, then there is no basis upon which to make judgment or decision. And what is employing that decision? Well, the Bible calls it discernment. Discernment. Now, let me give you an illustration, okay? Young people, watch this, please, okay? All, all Christians, let's, let's employ discernment because this is what the passage, this is what Paul said. Listen, we, we ought to grow in the Lord. We ought to get from milk to meat so that as we're on the meat of God's word, we have grown as Christians and, and not immature that we have now come to the point where we can exercise and use God's word so that we can discern between good and evil. And so we want to employ discernment. These statements that we mentioned a moment ago, as we look at these statements, we know they aren't true because of the the word of God, because of the truth found in it. God's word never establishes that all you have to do is think of something, believe it enough, or believe in it enough, in your heart, and it will come to pass. That's man's philosophy, and frankly, that's man's wishful thinking. I could make the argument, and we could get into a whole different rabbit trail, that is, that is a form, an expression of sociology, okay? And what I mean by sociology, humanistic sociology in the sense of uh, the idea of, boy, I just, I want it, so therefore I should get it. Socialism and so forth. I want it, I should get it. That's really an expression of that. It's man's philosophy and wishful thing. But here's the problem. God made such statements in his word like this. Luke chapter 12, verses 25 and 26, specifically speaking to the illustration I used a moment ago. And which of you, with taking thought, can add to his stature, his height, one cubit? It is a rhetorical question because everyone knows you can't do that. If not, there probably wouldn't be anybody here below six foot. Well, okay, maybe not. Forgive me, six foot's not the standard for anything, but... Just use it as an example, right? Yeah, we probably would be all pretty tall at the times, and then other times we'd wish ourselves short, right? I wish I could go play in that playground because I was short like a... Anyway, sometimes we wish short. Sometimes we wish we were taller. This Christ, no, who can do that? And then he goes on, look at verse 26. If ye then be not able... Oh, wait a second. The Bible says you can't do that. Just because you believe it doesn't mean you're going to achieve it. Just because you want it doesn't mean you're going to have it. That's what God says here. Then be not able to do that thing which is least. Why take ye thought for the rest? You know the context of the passage. He says, listen, why, why are you worried about someone? Why are you taking so thought? Why are you trying to change everything? Be content and trust your God. And therein is the problem with the world, amen? They don't trust God. He's saying, you can't do that. Furthermore, man, I love this verse. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 37. Young people, you ought to remember this. Who is he that saith, and it cometh to pass, when the Lord commandeth it not? God is sovereign. He's in control. He'll allow it to pass. He will bring it to pass. But he's got to put that stamp of approval on it. No man is going to be anything. In fact, the Bible says it is God who raises up kings and takes them down. It is God that raises up nations and brings them down. It is God who is in control. And my friend, don't you kind of see those statements as man trying to be like God and wrestle the authority over all of life away from God if I can believe it and achieve it. The Bible specifically and clearly as truth of God's word proves that these statements, though sounding nice, are not true. And you know what we've just done? I don't miss it. We've just employed discernment. 
We have taken the absolute truth of God's word. We've used it to judge these statements as either being true and valid or not being true and valid, being erroneous. That's discernment. Now, this is crucial. I think it's imperative that we have an understanding and a working definition of the term discernment. Many good, uh, many good out there, certainly none of them original with me. Webster's, chapter, uh, Webster's 1828 Dictionary okay, says this, and I love this description or definition. The verb form of discern, to discern, means to see or understand the difference. To make distinction, to discern between, discern between good and evil, uh, truth and falsehood. Now, why, you say, why do you use Webster's 1828? That is the most close or the closer, uh, closest dictionary to what the King James translator in English uh, would use. And obviously, there's some dictionaries between uh, 1611 and then, but nonetheless, this is the one that, that is most closely that we have at hand and readily available close to their definition of words. And when they write discern, this is the idea as it's found within Scripture, okay? Great definition. I love what pastor and teacher John MacArthur defines it. He says this, discernment as a noun, the ability to understand, interpret, and apply truth skillfully. I think he takes that from Hebrews chapter 5. That's literally what it means, okay? Thereby, and I love this statement, judicially making wise decisions and choices, and he adds it is a cognitive act, a, a willing act, a, a, an act of the mind, an act of the reasoning, the logic of mankind. And then probably my favorite is by a, a, an author, J.E. Adams. He's known for his, as a counselor in his counseling material. Uh, certainly don't agree with him with everything as uh, MacArthur. But um, discernment as a noun, he defines it this way. The ability to distinguish, and I love this, God's thoughts and God's ways from all others. I like that. That's a good definition of biblical discernment. The ability, the skill. I have grown in the Lord. I have been exposed and experienced in God's word so much that I have the ability to decipher, to distinguish God's will in God's way from all others. See, this is discernment. This is what you and I are called to. Now, here's the problem. What do we find waning in the church today? Lack of discernment. You hear it, church? Here's the problem. We as individual believers, we have gotten into the dilemma of discernment, which is that we don't employ it. We lack discernment. Well, I just don't know if that's right. I don't know if that's wrong. I don't know what to do. And so we're quiet. Or we, or we embrace that which is wrong, that which is in error. We, we embrace the, the things that go against the absolute truth of God's word. And my friend, listen to me. That is dangerous. It is dangerous. And it's time for you and I to sound the alarm to say, wait a second, some things are headed in ways and directions we don't want them to go as the family of God. Things are uh, erecting themselves against the truth, the absolute truth of God's word. Now, here's a truth about this. We discern these statements through God's word. We say that those statements, those ones we looked at, those aren't right. Just because I believe it doesn't mean I'll achieve it. We see that because we've held it up. We filtered it, helped the word of God to distinguish right and wrong. But you know what is also good and comes into play then? Then we would add to that our own experiences have made clear that these statements are not correct. See, no matter how much faith we have, we can't achieve anything. Now, if God is in it with me, you can do anything. See, there's a difference in the biblical view and understanding. And faith in him, not just faith in faith, faith in God, boy, that can accomplish anything. 
So there's great truth in it. So we see that this erroneous and false teaching, philosophy of man, has kind of kind of puts itself right against the truth of God's word. And you and I are called to be discerning. Listen, if your head's spinning right now, if you're saying, Pastor, man, this is kind of hard to all take in. Listen to me, my friend. It is probably, and I don't mean this unkindly, but the problem is we haven't been very good and adept at being discerning. We need to learn how as Christians, oh man, I've got to, and we'll talk about how to be discerning, the tools of discernment. We'll look at all these things from God's word, but I'm just sounding the alarm. I'm sounding the cry. God's church needs believers who are discerning in all things. Discernment is so crucial and necessary because one of the ways discernment or lack thereof in irrational faith is witnessed in the church is people saying, well, I just believe this. Have you heard that? Well, I just believe this. And my friend, what they have said in that and what they are offering is this. Authenticity of their belief is not authenticated and validated by God's word. It is authenticated and validated because they believe it. You see the problem? Because I could stand before you this morning and I can say this. Sorry, camera people. I believe I'm a horse. Brother Larry Halverson looks at me and says, you're not a horse, you're a nut. <laughs> Why do you say that, Brother Larry? I say that because I know what a horse looks like. And brother, you're an ugly horse if you're a horse. I'm telling you. Yeah, he knows truth. He's got a standard. But listen, what we have allowed in from the world is this. How dare you impose your standard on me? How dare you say there is a standard? Because what I believe is now the standard. If I believe I'm a horse, I'm a horse. That's sad, but that was the best I could do. Now listen. It's comical. It would be comical, wouldn't it? If in our world, that isn't how half the people think and act and believe. They have established their own belief as the absolute authority, as absolute truth. Now, as we've seen this increase in both the lack of discernment in the church and in its place, guess what? Now, now what we have done is, and this is what, it, this is what we've come to value, we've come to value experience over absolute truth. Well, I know the Bible says that, but this is what I've experienced. I, yeah, the Bible may say that, but I have found this to be true. Now, wait a minute. In that simple statement, we have taken experience and we have valued it over the absolute truth of God's Word. And the concern is this. Instead of saying, now here's, here's where the logic and, or lack thereof, the irrationality comes to play. Instead of saying experience is good only when it confirms and agrees with what has already been established as an absolute truth, we raise personal experience above the absolute truth. Did you catch that? See, we got a role reversal here. Because before, as we said in those statements, okay, if you believe it, you can achieve it. We say, oh, God's word has already proven. The absolute truth has proven. Those aren't correct. And I have experienced that. I, I, just the other day, I went to, you know, I, I was hoping and I wanted this. I, I wanted to grow to six foot six. I went to bed and I woke up and I wasn't. In fact, I probably shrunk from osteoporosis or something else. Old age. It didn't work. 
Experience has confirmed what the absolute truth is. But listen, even if I thought my experience, maybe I got up, oh, I think I'm taller. Does that mean the absolute truth is wrong? No, no, no. Absolute truth is truth. It's absolute. So my experience doesn't judge absolute truth. Absolute truth judges my experience. But here's the problem. In secular society now, it's all about their experience. Listen, hey, let's just make it practical. There are people today that will claim that anything is racist. Cost of gas, that's racist. That's racist. This is racist. That's racist. And, and uh, forgive you, or God forbid, you might argue, wait a minute, how is that racist? Don't, 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 don't. I've experienced it. What? But listen, you and I are now, we're, we're scared. Well, I can't say anything, can't do anything. Oh, look, I'm white, I can't say anything, can't do anything. Why? Because we have bought in at times to what the world says experience is greater than absolute truth. My friend, that is a dangerous, desperate time for a nation, for a country, for a world, and especially for a church. If we allow it, we allow it to infiltrate our thinking and we start raising personal experience above absolute truth, guess what? Then we have a mess of problems. We're into the introduction. I'll share with you one more thing and we'll be done. Take this illustration think of it this way. Maybe you're sitting there and say, okay, I'm not sure I see all that. I I don't know how you can't see it, to be honest. The world around us, it's out there. But reality is this. Let me give you an illustration. You ever have one of your young children? Uh, Maybe they were playing, and and I reminded this the other day to me, and they were around an electrical outlet, a live one. And I do not know what the affection with electrical outlets are. But it seems like every kid wants to go up there and go. I mean, I kind of remember doing it myself as a kid. And Ryan just went like that. And what are you? No, don't do that. You could get shot. Now, some of you are cruel parents. Go ahead and do it. You'll learn a lesson. <laughs> okay, now I get that. <laughs> I get it, okay. But what it was, hey, don't do that. You're going to get shot. Maybe it's in an oven and the burner's been on or has already been on or still left on. And they start to reach their hand up. I know sometimes around our house when we're getting something out of the oven, I don't know what's attractive about it. You know, maybe it looks like a cave. Who knows? And Ryan will come in like this and maybe reach in to touch. Don't do that. You're going to get burned. Okay, now listen. Have you ever had a child do that and they had already touched it and you say, hey, 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 hey just don't do that. You can get electrocuted. But nothing happened. It didn't shock me or the burner. I'm not burned. Do you realize in that one instance, their flesh has said this, my experience overrules your truth? Has it not? Have they not said, (laughs) dada, (laughs) no hurt. Oh, my bad, I guess I'm wrong. Go lick it. I wouldn't say that, don't. <laughs> Some of you are like, whoa, where's that in the parenting 101? <laughs> My point is this. You know what we're telling the world? You've ignored absolute truth. And so in the world, oh, just do whatever you want. Go ahead and sin all you want. Go ahead and do whatever you, whatever you think is right is right. Whatever is truth is truth for you, that's great. And my friend, it is like licking a power outlet. 
They're going to get shocked. Listen to me. Don't dare, believer, let that into your life and let it into the church. Don't take experience and says, well, man, you know what? God's word says be sure your sin will find you out. And you know what? I, I did something wrong. <laughs> Nothing happened. <sighs> Can I tell you, I have heard someone tell that to me before, and I'm like, okay, just going to get away from you. Because here's one thing I know. Be sure your sin will find you out. And you may flaunt the long-suffering, merciful God that he is, but be sure your sin will find you out. But here's the problem. We're applying it across the board. Marriage, gender, you name it. We're just saying, oh, God's word, God, my experience overrules and outweighs that. You come back in a couple weeks, we're going to see how in the church it has even produced an errant theology that is found in the church. And how if we're not careful, we will relegate the very basis. Now, don't miss this. The very basis for good discernment, we will relegate it to being under our experiences in my own personal opinion. And when we take the standard for discernment away, we have an inability to what? To discern. So if you say you're a cow and I say I'm a horse, no one can argue with us because our truth is truth. If you say God's word says that and, and I say no, it doesn't, it says this, where's the standard? For interpretation, for application, where's the standard? Where is it found? My friend, listen to me. Over the last several decades, it has eroded our society, our culture, and look where our nation is. We got the craziest, weirdest beliefs out there. We're entertaining the dumbest, most ignorant things, and yet we can't argue about it, supposedly. We can't speak up. Why? Because we have valued experience, personal choice, preference, opinion over the absolute truth of God's Word. My friend, the nation that exalts God's Word in righteousness will be blessed. But if you don't, that nation will suffer. And my friend, my goal, and my heart, if I'm the last voice speaking, God's church will remain pure. Fostoria Baptist Church will be a church that rests, stands alone on God's word. And we will use it to discern and judge and differentiate between everything else. This is the standard, not your experience, not mine. Why? Because God said so. Thus saith the Lord. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We are grateful for it and the truths that we find therein. And Father, we are alarmed. We are concerned over the, uh, the desperate situation we find ourselves in as we look around and see denominations and Christians who are frequently lacking discernment, that they are embracing and opening themselves up to all error and all false things. And yet, Father, in your word, you have called us to discern between good and evil. Lord, may we not stand back. May we not remain silent. May we speak up for what is right for the absolute truth of your word. May we do so in love and kindness, but Father, may we not lose our voice in a nation that is quickly being lost to immorality, that is quickly going the wrong direction. Father, may we, your church, speak up and stand up for what is right. But Father, may we also realize that depends upon each one of us valuing your word. 
studying it, using it skillfully, being exposed to it and experienced in it. Father, I pray that each one here would be convicted and moved to ensure that we know your word because without the knowledge of the scriptures, there is no discernment. And then, Father, may your Holy Spirit guide us and direct us in applying that discernment to having it in everyday life, every situation as we read a headline, as we are faced with a decision. May your word be the, the foundation of our discernment. May nothing else, our experience or our preference, our desire, may nothing else be that foundation but your word. My Father, Jesus Christ came to purify the church, to cleanse it with your word. May it be so today. May every believer here grab hold and cling tightly to your word and use it as the tool of discernment. Father, bless your church, both this local assembly and your church around the world. May we be pure without spot. May we be blameless. May we be that glorious church that Jesus Christ died to make us. Father, work in every heart, even now in this invitation. May you be honored and glorified. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I ask you to join me in standing all across the auditorium. Piano begins to play. As God has spoken, would you respond? Maybe a prayer for discernment for the church. Maybe a prayer for uh, steadfastness, being unmovable. However, God is later on your heart. Let's spend some time with him.